Standard Issue for all women. Hello and welcome to episode 54 of the Standard Issue podzine. I'm Mickey Noonan and at the weekend I discovered that if you had a bulldog and a placard that reads fuck the shit, you will get your photograph taken a hell of a lot. A lot. I did actually look for you on Twitter because you had your photograph taken so many times. I thought she must be on there. Am I a meme? <laughs> Not yet. Oh. I have to say at one point that the, the, the dog was actually shitting next to you holding the sign saying fuck this shit. That was yeah. a glorious sight. Elsie is very on brand. <laughs> I'm Hannah Dunleavy and after I finish recording this, I'm going to go and record an episode of The Wire Stripped with Jen, who looks well smart for the occasion. Thanks, guys. It's your second time starring on another podcast. <laughs> Guest starring on, on another the, podcast. On the same other on the podcast. Same podcast, same no other podcast. They actually asked us back. Yeah. It's because you've got that fancy dress on. I've yeah. got a t-shirt that I worked out. It's 20 years <laughs> it's old. Fancy, fancy dress. dress. Jen's dressed as the clown, Pennywise. Yeah. <laughs> and she's currently she's in a corner sobbing. Scared of herself. Yeah. <laughs> More on fear later. I'm Jen, and I was up until 2am watching The Wire. And I think I will be for the next couple of months, so... Damn you, Kobe! Damn you! Every fucking time. Later on, we're joined by Sarah Morgan, comedy writer and co-host of podcast The Fear, who's going to be giving us the willies before Halloween. We also talked to Shane Newell from Rosa, the fund for women and girls, about some money that they have to give away to projects around the country. Sorry, what? I know. Hooray. They'll be gabbing on a bit about sport, innit? <laughs> and I do Disney's The Good Dinosaur, finally. I say finally because... Finally. Yeah. Sorry, Jen. But first, a Bush Telegraph with a difference. Now then, we mentioned that placard, and we were at the People's Vote March on Saturday where we chatted to some excellent women about why they think Brexit is a bad idea. Because, you know, impartial journalism aside, it's absolutely a bad idea. It's time for the Bush Telegraph. Bush Telegraph. At the weekend, we were three of the estimated 700,000 people who converged on London to march calling for a people's vote on Brexit. Here's what happened when we got the mic out and started conducting some interviews. Hi, we're in Parliament Square, a very noisy Parliament Square. We've managed to bump into Lara Spirit from Our Future, Our Choice. Lara, how's today been feeling for you? It's been absolutely brilliant. We are so, so pleased with the turnout. We didn't think we'd get over 100,000. We were hoping maybe for 200,000 at a push. When we heard 600,000 people were crying, I mean, it's been it's honestly been fantastic. It's so great to see so many people here, especially young people. It's been fantastic being a young person. We've been allowed to have such a say in how this has gone and, and running it, who could speak, etc. So it's been really, really good to, to come out here today. Really, really, I'm really overwhelmed. <laughs> You are clutching a whole bunch of postcards. Can you tell us about those? Yes, so we've launched a campaign at People's Vote called Right the Wrong, which is basically a large-scale letter-writing campaign to your MP. Um, So we've got 100,000 postcards today, which we've been giving out to people. You underestimate Yeah, exactly, exactly. You need to find 500,000 more (laughs) in a short supply of time. Yeah, so I'm just vlogging them all and asking people to write to their MPs. We've had some fantastic messages on them so far and we just really want... Yes, please, so, yeah, do take some. Do take some. No, that's, that, that's literally some live-action postcard giving out happening now. Great, thanks. I'm so sorry. I've just been collecting postcards. This is great. Thank you so no, much, Lara. fine. Everybody, please write to your MP. Thank you. We've been joined by Anna Subri. Anna, the past few years have been quite the roller coaster. Well, I mean, it has. I think, look... I think what happened was that after we were after the vote, a lot of people were really shocked, and we said we'd respect the vote, 
and we said that therefore we would you know, trigger Article 50. But the truth is, is that you know, the 48% were drowned out. And there's been almost a, a conspiracy of horrible bullying. So it's not just me, but people like me have received death threats. Three people have had prison sentences for threats to me and my staff. So, you know, it's like, what sort of country have we created by letting out this, these demons as a result of Brexit? I really do believe that. And I think increasingly people are saying, you know what, this is not my country anymore. And a lot of people are saying this is not what I voted for. So we've got to have that people's vote. And what do you think the message for Parliament will be from today and the success of today? It would be a very foolish Member of Parliament that ignored the strength of feeling. I mean, I can tell you now that Chuka and I said, OK, how many do you think might turn up? You know, you do those conversations. And he said, ah, quarter of a million. I think we can do quarter of a million. Crikey, it's 700,000 people. And, you know, we're a small campaign. We really are. And I know we've got these fantastic groups all across the country, but they just kind of get on and do their stuff. So it's, it is astonishing that something that is not that organised, it literally has come up from the grassroots of people saying, I want, con- I want to take back control of my country's future, especially for the young ones. Hi, we're in Parliament Square where we have met Joanna Cherry, MP for Edinburgh South West. Thank you for joining us. What has brought you here today? Well, as I said on the stage, I believe in Scottish independence, but I want to see all the nations of the United Kingdom remain in the European Union. I think it's in all our interests to be in the same union because the European Union is a union of equals. I think the European Union has brought rights to this country and prosperity to this country. And by that, I mean all the countries of the United Kingdom. So I'd like to see us all remain in the European Union much as I would like to see an independent Scotland as well. Us too. <laughs> I keep thinking I might move to Scotland if we move. Can, can we come? Can we come? We have a demographic problem with an ageing population. So freedom of movement has been a great thing for Scotland. All the evidence shows that we actually need more immigrants in Scotland rather than less. So losing freedom of movement is going to be a disaster for the Scottish economy and also it's going to mean that we can't grow our population in the way that we want to. It's been an incredible turnout. Are you surprised at how many people are here? Not really, because I I sense there's a bit of a momentum getting behind the people's vote now. I mean, obviously, the SNP, we voted to support it at our conference. Plaid Cymru have voted to support it. I think Labour are quite close to supporting it. And you've got Tories like Anna has been with it the whole way. You've got people like Dominic Grieve now supporting it. I think there's a real head of steam getting up behind it. Obviously, there's loads of people here today, but I think there will also be a bit of cynicism about what this can actually achieve. Do you think that this presence can achieve anything? Well, I think, I think it's really important that people come out in the streets and demonstrate how strongly they feel about this issue And I think it looks like we've got close to three quarters of a million people here today. Who knows, the estimate may turn out to be more. And I know people have come from all over the United Kingdom. I know there are students here from Orkney and from the Highlands and Islands. And so I know people have come from Wales and from the south and the north of England and also from Northern Ireland. So I think think MPs will look at this and maybe MPs who know in their heart of hearts that Brexit's a disaster will take some courage from this huge turnout today and have the gumption to support a second vote. Writing to your MP does work. Most of us take our emails and our letterbox pretty seriously. I always try to get back to everyone, not always as quickly as I would like. 
But if hundreds of people write to me about an issue, then I will look at what they're saying very seriously. Thank you so much for your time. Hello, we're here with Sorsha Kirka from the Highlands and Islands Students Association. Hi, Sorsha, thanks for chatting to us. No problem. Um, Thank you very much for asking me. Can I just point out that Sorsha is clutching a, a plastic pint of coffee as for dear life. Has it been a pretty hectic day? Yeah, well, my, my group has travelled over 700 miles to be here, so it's a 1,000-mile round trip. Not a lot of sleep has occurred. We had an overnight bus last night from Inverness, but I'm actually based in Orkney. So the coffee, yeah, my life does depend on the coffee. <laughs> so what is the kind of feeling in Orkney at the moment about, about the whole Brexit situation? To be honest, I think it's much the same as everywhere. It's concern, it's fear, it's confusion, you know, all of those things. And what has brought you specifically here today? So I work for the Highlands and Islands Students Association. I'm the Vice President of Higher Education and we represent all students of the University of the Highlands and Islands, which actually covers a geographic area the size of Belgium across the Highlands and Islands. We've got 13 academic partners. Our most northerly one is actually in Shetland. And so um, I'm a student representative and I think that it's very, very important that the student voice is really at the heart of this because, you know... It's us that it's predominantly going to affect going forwards. What are the major things that concern you about the current situation? You know, obviously immigration and things like that um, concern me quite a lot because, you know, we have a lot of international students and we don't know what the impact is going to be on them in terms of them coming to study. I don't know what the impact is going to be on the likes of um, student funding. A lot of our academic partners actually receive EU funding and we don't know what's going to happen with that situation. And also, our academic partners are all in quite rural locations. We've got a few that are in big cities, but um, they're predominantly in rural locations, and those locations get a lot of EU funding. So the impact could be really quite, you know, varying across the board for us. And there's just a lot of concerns about that because we don't know what it's going to look like and how badly it's going to affect our students. Do you have any concerns about what it means for the future of the UK? Predominantly, my focus is obviously the students. I'm Northern Irish. <laughs> so um, in that sense as well, I'm, all, I'm obviously very concerned about what's going to happen with the Irish situation. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm joined by Sarah Wollaston. Thanks so much for joining us. That's a pleasure. So what has brought you here today and why are you standing against Brexit? Well, I'm standing for people to have the chance to weigh up the evidence and have a people's vote. Um, what I would say is that when people voted two years ago, nobody knew what form Brexit would take. None of us know which of the many forms of Brexit people actually voted for. There's complete gridlock in Parliament. And what we now need to do is when we get to the end of that pathway and we know exactly what's involved, we should take it back to people, show them exactly what the risks and benefits are, so that they can weigh up the evidence and decide if that's what they really want. So this is about informed consent. And you do that just as you would for an operation. You expect to know what it involves, what are the risks, what are the benefits, and then to make up your mind. You can't give informed consent when you don't know what the operation's even going to be in the first place. Do you get the sense that the people who voted for Brexit at the time now are starting to think maybe this was not the right move? A lot of people are. A lot of people change their mind. I mean, I started the campaign as a, what you might call a, a Eurosceptic soft lever. But when I looked at the evidence, I, I'm lucky I'm a Health Select Committee chair. Week in, week out, I was hearing the evidence. It was overwhelming. I simply couldn't ignore it. And I was really pleased to change my mind. And I know there's a lot of people out there who feel the same way. And we should stop 
feeling that there's something wrong with changing your mind. Looking at evidence and changing your mind is a really good thing for everyone to be able to do in life. And I think for something that's such a massive constitutional, social and economic change, of course we need to go and make sure people have seen the actual evidence. Hi, we've bumped into Jay Bostock, former Standard Issue correspondent. Jay, why did you come out today? Because I want a people's vote. I, I think we never knew the full implications of Brexit, and I, I, think, I think people are changing their minds. They like what you're saying, Jane. I know, I know. Uh, I'll keep going. <laughs> Is there anything in particular that's worrying you? That question just kind of almost stumps me, because it feels like everything, everything our country is based on is impacted by this the nhs the money we receive the money we lose from europe i'm also incredibly worried about the emboldenment of the far right groups and we've even seen a few did you see the uh ukipper no we haven't passed any bother actually i mean there was literally four people and uh, a maga hat you wouldn't have seen that a few years ago i find it people feel emboldened to sort of show their bigotry and be outwardly racist more than i can ever remember really and that frightens me the most to be honest with you but there's been so many amazing speeches up there especially about ireland patrick hilty talking about ireland the real serious implications about people's lives and safety that no one seems to care about not certainly not you know the tory eaten mess as everyone calls them tell me a benefit genuinely tell me a benefit of brexit go on tell me please I'm joined by Delia Smith. Hi Delia, you were speaking at the march earlier today. I'd just like to know a bit about what brought you here and why you've decided to back the people's vote. Because I'm passionate about not leaving Europe. I really don't. It's physically hurting me, <laughs> the thought of it. And I would do anything I could to stop it, anything I could. I believe in it very profoundly. What do you think the danger is to the UK if we end up leaving Well, because I don't think it's the way the world is going. I think if we're going to help our children and their children in the future, there's going to have to be more cooperation between countries. So therefore, I feel that Europe is actually at the leading edge of that. And don't forget, it came out of two world wars, the most devastating things that have ever happened to our planet. And out of it came these countries that sat down and said, we're not going to have this anymore and we're going to try and work together. Okay, it might take years to get it right, but everything you do takes, you know, time. But that is the way the world is going. We cannot, we cannot, if we want to get rid of wars, if we want to get rid of poverty, nations are going to have to work together, side by side. Well, you have equal pay, but, you know, they're not equal, are they? Sexism of the week. It's that time of the week where, for once, we take one of our own in real life sexist encounters and make it our news story. Go, Hannah. So, I had an interesting experience on the train home from the People's March, which I thought would make a sexism of the week. By the time I got onto a train at 11 o'clock, I had 1% battery left. So, I plugged in my phone, as you do, in the little socket. And then a guy came and sat next to me. He was, I'd say, about the same age as me, which is 23. (laughs) (laughs) And he was on his phone. Now, my guess is that he was on 
Tinder because he seemed to have lots of pictures of women and he seemed to be swiping through them, but I don't know how... It, how... it would be one of those, yeah. He sits down, he sat down next to me and he looks at the plug socket and he sees my phone's in it and he goes, oh, like that. And I said, sorry, I don't have any battery. And he went, well, I don't have much battery either. And I said, yeah, I need to ring a taxi when I get to the other end. Now, Jen will verify that Cambridge... North train station is a barren wasteland that you wouldn't want to get caught at midnight with no mobile phone battery. After about two minutes of the train moving along, he starts to look at my phone to see, you know, how much battery I've got. And I'm like, mate, it's a train. It's like, we're now on 2%. We've been charging for Why not go and find somewhere else? It was busy. Okay. There was nowhere else to sit. But surely not everyone is going to have their phones plugged in. Well, exactly. He could have asked somebody else. Right, but instead, what he does is he basically huffs and puffs and moves around in his chair and says, "Oh, are you done yet?" For about the next twenty-five minutes, to the degree that then I pick my phone up and I think I'm going to put this on Twitter because this man is being a twat to me. Right, but at this point, I'm on about sixteen percent of battery, so I start to tweet. Now that really annoys him because I'm obviously doing something to use my phone now. You know, and obviously he thinks I should only be charging it. I have to say, during this period, he is still swiping, swiping, swiping. He still has a battery. So I start tweeting and he really full-blown leans over. So he's basically in my lap to look to see what I was typing. And so what I typed was, there's this guy on the train basically trying to bully me out of having my phone plugged in. And he's trying to look and see what I'm typing. And I, presumably to see whether it's important enough. And I think we can all agree it is. Right? (laughs) Put that on Twitter. That's fine. Now, as if that sexism isn't enough, that I, because I object to the fact I had to explain to him why I felt like I needed that socket. I had that socket, you know? That's, that to me should be important enough. It's first come, first served on yeah. the train. And if someone said to me, oh, but hang on, I've got to get out and I haven't got any signal and I need to get a taxi, I'd have gone, okay then, let's. Anyway, the responses I got on Twitter, now there's a whole other sea of sexism. I got a couple of, that didn't happen. Because obviously I don't have anything better to do with my time than just sit and make <laughs> just things made it up. up. Just for such, fun. It's such a man response well, to a woman complaining about something that happens to women all of the time. Yeah. If they weren't there to see it, <laughs> the tree in the forest didn't make it. I don't know, but it's that. No, yeah. Yeah. Put that on the file of never fucking happened. I quite like that, though. I'm going to use her. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> I also got some suggestions that the guy was in the right because I was hogging... Oh, that's not how it works. You oh, were there and, first. And the word, the word is hog. I was using. using. <laughs> also, perhaps if you hadn't been a complete fucking wazzock about it, as my dad would say, you probably would have like struck some kind of deal yeah. with him. But that wasn't even the best answer. The best answer that I got was, if we weren't all so concerned about our phones nowadays, looking at our phones, staring at our phones, getting home. that perhaps he and I might have hooked up and like gone on a date together. Because obviously, the very fact I'm on a train on my own must mean I'm fucking gagging for it. Absolutely desperate. I don't know about um, you, but it's my first port of call. To yeah. pick up pissed men, the midnight train to Cambridge. Yeah. And yeah. also, if you add to that equation that if you sit next to someone who is on Tinder, you actually become on Tinder. You're literally just someone that they could swipe left or right at, at any given moment. Yeah. Just IRL. But I would say, I'm sure it was meant with the best of intentions, the person who suggested that we might have got together. But from looking through, and of course, he kept basically showing me his phone to show how almost short of battery he was. The pictures of the women that he was flipping through on on Tinder, I was a good 20 years too old for him. 
even though he was your age. Yeah. Hello, Jen here. Sorry to interrupt your uh, podcasting joy time. <laughs> okay, having a wank. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't scripted. Can you believe it? <laughs> if you'd like to see us as well as hear us, and I'm quite sure you do, why don't you get yourself along to one of our gig casts? We have got some absolute bangers coming up, including on October the 28th, June Sarpong, Lisa Riley and Stacey Solomon. On November the 20th, we don't think we hear enough from men in the world, so we've invited a few along to help celebrate International Men's Day. And those men are Richard Herring, Colin Jackson and David Morrissey. And then for our final London gig of the year, we've got a fantastic lineup of Lolly Adafopi, Felicity Ward and Laura Bates. And that's on December the 16th. So get yourself over to our page on Sarah's website, which is www.sarahmillican.co.uk forward slash standard hyphen issue. You can find out all about what we've got coming up in our gigs and how you can get tickets. Hi, we're joined by Shay Newell from Rosa, which is the Fund for Women and Girls. Thanks for joining us. Hi. <laughs> now, Rosa's celebrating 10 years of operation yeah. this year. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit of background to what, what Rosa is and how the fund got started? The whole idea behind Rosa is that we mobilise resources and generate funds from corporates, industries and individuals, invest them back into the women's sector. We also provide step-up support like uh, mentoring through our Inspire Together programme, which pairs people from the corporate sector with leaders of the women's sector to help them develop things like business planning, communications, and we also provide a range of training, so anything from communications to finances, so that we can build a stronger, more sustainable women's sector. It was set up by three incredible women because at the time there was a real lack of funding for women's organisations. I think it was the idea that in the UK women already have it all, so what else is there to complain about? All of it. All of it. I mean, everything. (laughs) 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 These three women really recognise the need to invest in women and women's issues. And since then, we've funded over 300 women's Mm organisations across the country. So it's England, Wales, Northern Ireland, Scotland. Initially, we had a real focus on body image. We funded this really great organisation called Mimbre, and they taught 20 young women from low-income backgrounds how to do acrobatics. Wow. That kind of thing. We also funded EVO, um, End Violence Against Women and Girls, and IMCON to do a, a project that trained young women how to, I guess, campaign and speak on the racism and sexism they get in music videos on digital platforms. And then we were one of the major funders of the Tackling um, FGM initiative that happened. Yeah. We, were, oh, we were part of that for about six years, and we were really one of the driving forces but getting it into the mainstream, thankfully, into policy. Our four pillars are leadership and representation, safety, health and well-being and economic justice. Every project that we fund falls under roughly one of those four criterias. We have two main programmes that are running at the moment. Voices from the Frontline, which is a small grants programme. We offer grantees up to £3,000. We resource advocacy and campaigning. It's really about giving voice to women with lived experience to talk about their lived experience. We also have a, a good focus on women who could have faced different intersections, different disadvantages, and really highlighting those issues. We also had the Woman to Woman Fund, which was supported by the tampon tax. And for us, that was great because it means that all the money that women have been putting into the tampon tax, a part of it goes back into the women's sector. So we funded some some really cool organisations like Liverpool Girl Geeks, who teach girls how to code. 
Also another organisation called No More Taboo. They basically work with homeless women to teach them how to use more sustainable, reusable sanitary products. It's kind of amazing that we get to support all of these different kinds of... Really diverse. Really super diverse because... The issues that women are facing are super, super diverse. Women are super diverse. For me personally, I can't fathom experiencing something like period poverty, but there are so many women and girls out there who yeah. are experiencing that. And I guess the main thing that we're doing at the moment is just Justice and Equality Fund, which was catalyzed by Time's Up and, uh, and that movement that happened in the States. So when Emma Watson went to the Golden Globes and they announced that Time's Up, she took one of our grantees, Marai Larisi, who is one of the founders of Imcon. Emma said, you know, it'd be really great to get something like this in the UK. So Mary said, well, Rosa are the only UK-wide fund for women and girls, so let's give them a call. And that's really how it kind of came about. And it's been a really collaborative process between the the women's sector, particularly with a special focus on on the Vogue uh, sector and sexual harassment. Vogue being violence against women and girls. (laughs) Is Rosa an acronym? Rosa isn't, but it was inspired by some famous woman called Rosa, Rosa Parks. Oh gosh, this is a test. I can't remember that. Oh, there's <laughs> another one. Rosa May Billinghurst and Rosa one. Luxemburg. Yes, Rosa Luxemburg. The whole aim of the Justice and Equality Fund is really to kind of bring an end to the culture of harassment and abuse and the impunity that comes along with it and really challenge the culture around sexual harassment, the way that we talk about it, the way that we react to it, the way that we react to people stories and them telling us their experiences we've just announced some grants that we made over a million pounds has gone to seven women's organizations across the country yeah it's great it's it's brilliant brilliant. so so actually so far from the justice and equality fund we've raised 2.7 million we got a really generous donation of a million pounds from emma watson thanks Um, emma yeah big thanks (laughs) also uh comic reliefers that have donated a million pounds as well and then we have a, a gofundme happening at the moment which the public have been so generous and we we even have a person who's who said you know i don't have any money at all but i'm going to keep giving you seven to ten pounds every month because that's why that's what i have and that's why i can give you know that really means a lot because people don't have much particularly when we're talking when we're going out into the public usually we have people in and they're looking to raise money it's mm. really nice to have someone who's got some money to give away i mean some more money would be great though <laughs> <laughs> what sorts of projects are you looking to support this year of the seven organisations that we funded for the first round of the advice and support project, a program, sorry, they are all kind of frontline grassroots organisations who are the first people to deal with, to interact with people who have experienced sexual harassment. So they are the helplines, they are the refuge centres, Women's Aid Federation in Northern Ireland. They were given £200,000 to establish the, a pilot rape crisis service in Northern Ireland, and that fills a gap. They haven't had a, a rape crisis service in, in Northern Ireland for 12 years. What? Shut up. Hell. That's outrageous. Due to funding cuts. So really, without the Justice and Equality Fund or even anything like it, that means that what women in Northern Ireland would continue to to not have this yeah. super vital provision. Yeah. The London Black Women's Project, they, they're going to be focusing on specialist advice to BME and migrant women which is, I I guess, kind of gets lost a little bit sometimes when we're talking about sexual harassment because there is racialised harassment and, you know, things like that. So it's great that we could have a more targeted 
projects to support in that way. Welsh Women's Aid will also like provide training to inv- to increase the the capacity and knowledge of women's organisations uh, across Wales. Wales are a bit different in that their women's sector isn't as robust. So it's really great that we help support the women's organisations that do exist there already, um, and to help develop their skills and their knowledge around sexual harassment. Now I was looking through some of the projects you've supported mm. in the past and they are many and varied. Mm. Anything from working with former prisoners, working yeah. with refugees, a record label you've supported Suffer in the past. Suffering records, yep. yeah, all women's record label. Yep. Yeah, I also thought it was really interesting, going back to FGM, which you mentioned mm. earlier, that you're giving some money on a project which talks to men about FGM yes. because men are considered mm. influencers in the, the cultures that, that that happened with. Yeah. If we've got people who are listening to this and they run a, uh, or are involved in a small organisation, mm-hmm. how do they go about applying with Rosa? So the way that we run our grant programmes is that we, we we tend to run one programme at a time. We're a super small team of five people. So we get quite a lot done, but we have it means we have to manage our... Oh, we, we know all about that. That's how you yeah. <laughs> so how do they get involved? They get involved by looking on the website and seeing which grants are open. At the moment, we have a programme called Now's the Time, which is a part of the Justice and Equality Fund. The idea is that we want to kind of resource imaginative and collaborative activism particularly around sexual harassment because it's really gathering some momentum across the UK. And so we want to encourage people to have kind of counterintuitive partnerships. So, for example, a women's organisation could pair with a rugby club and the idea is to answer the question, what would you do towards ending sexual harassment? And we kind of want people to go as blue sky as possible. They can uh, they can apply for up to £100,000. This is the large grants programme. And it's really anything from prevention work to awareness raising, anything like that. And so, yeah, when just look at our website, look at our social media. We've got Twitter, we've got Facebook, LinkedIn. Of course, if you have questions, you drop us an email or give us a call or anything like that. But as I say, we are a tiny team. So obviously a lot of this work is about sexual harassment. Obviously this is very current, time's up, etc. Have you noticed a spike in donations as well as applications for funding? Definitely a spike in applications to funding because <laughs> it's not really a... In the past, it hasn't been a place where people that people have funded. In terms of funding, well, I mean, the GoFundMe, the crowdfunder, was a really heartwarming to see that there were so many people who were willing to give us uh, some money. So we've definitely seen a spike there to the Justice and Equality Fund. Absolutely. Yeah, because when you spoke to Cara, yes, they said every time that there's a story in the news about Me Too or mm-hmm. a situation like that, they see a spike in, in people ringing up and saying, literally, Me Too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it, it is it is necessary to have both of them, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think people realise how underfunded these services are, though, because the one in Glasgow had to shut down because mm. its funding mm-hmm. was cut. And it's just not somewhere that I it's think a it go-to. Has, I think it has secured funding now, but it, it, oh, that's it, great. it yeah. was yeah, in serious yeah. trouble rate crisis Glasgow. Yeah, and yeah. you'd think it would be services, like you said about in Northern Ireland, they're so vital. Yeah. I think people just wrongly assume that they must be covered. I think so. I think a lot of people feel like the government has, you know, is is taking care of the funding for things like that. <laughs> well, I think people think the NHS <laughs> is covered by the government. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. a lot of people expect for things to mm. have to just be being dealt with um, and that's just that's kind of not the case but you, you also do some other sort of uh, what I might consider I, will, I don't want to say low key because it is an important issue I saw mm. that you were supporting a project in Milton Keynes which was helping young girls just work on their confidence yeah, absolutely, because that's kind of where it starts, right? I think I think a lot of the issues that a lot of women face is because we haven't really been taught to develop our confidence 
in a lot of uh, for a lot of women a lot of young to be girls people pleasers exactly. rather than self pleasers yes exactly or you're kind of put yourself second and things like that a lot, a lot a lot of those things really have an impact on your on your self esteem and your confidence which means that you don't you go out into the world very differently to uh, someone who has all the confidence in the world so yeah. it's yeah so you live a, you, mm. you you exist differently so i suppose it's just stuff like the, you know not reporting women not reporting crimes and stuff yeah. is because you are brought up to feel like you don't have agency mm-hmm. to do that kind yeah. of thing so yeah. yeah no absolutely absolutely or even even things like of what jobs you think you, yeah. you can be able to do at a young age you know mm. if I'm five and I want to be an astronaut then I should be able to say I want to be an astronaut yeah. but for a lot of girls will be told well that's that's not a role for you or that's that's for boys and, and, and those are things that are still really actively said to to young girls at the mm. moment so yeah. confidence is probably where it starts for me and I think it was interesting as well uh, with with Milton Keynes because you know that's a, a city that you don't traditionally think of as being a city that has many particular problems with with deprivation etc mm. etc et because it's a new build and it's got a high level of employment but it has a chronic crisis of housing and the homelessness amongst young people I think is I read something this weekend said it's higher in Milton Keynes than, than it is in anywhere else in the country for wow. young people and homelessness so it reminds you that you know all areas around the country have problems that, that need dealing with yeah is, is there any geographical area in particular that you're looking to expand into or to support? So we do really well in England. We would love to get some more applications from Northern Ireland and from Wales. Wales definitely, because as I said, it, it has its women's sector isn't as developed as it is in places like Scotland or England. Uh, they're not as connected and joined up, and that's kind of what we're hoping to, to do better. So Rosa can kind of be the, the connector amongst that kind of thing. If people would like to apply for grants, they go to your website. Mm-hmm. If people would like to give you some money, mm-hmm. do the opposite, how do they get in touch? The same way? Yes. So go to our website, rosauk.org. <laughs> Thanks very much for coming <laughs> to talk to us, Shay. Absolutely. Hello, Hannah here, constant interrupter. Just wanted to let you know that if you like what we do, you can help us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really does help, especially if you give us five stars. Did that sound threatening enough? Give us five stars. Hello, we're joined by Sarah Morgan, comedy writer and host of podcast The Fear. Hi, Sarah. Hello. And given that we're a mere short screen from Halloween, we (laughs) thought it was the ideal time to talk to an expert things that shit us up and why we love to shit ourselves up it is terrifying times at the moment I started a podcast called The Fear I love podcasts where people interview comedians there are a lot of them but I think it's because they're quite interesting certainly interesting to me fear is a great thing so you start talking to people what they're scared of you get to the bottom of things very quickly you get people being very intimate about stuff and of course stand up comedians deal with this situation that is meant to be the most nerve-wracking thing you can do it's like people's number one fear is public speaking yeah and like dying in a fire is number two or something like <laughs> it's it's it's, it's oh mad God, like, imagine if there was a fire while you were public speaking well exactly would you clear the building or yeah. Yeah. oh um, what a relief yeah thank <laughs> <laughs> god i'm not a stand-up i'm a writer but i love stand-up and so i started wanting to sort of talk to stand-up comics about how they dealt with stage fright all that kind of stuff and then i realized the more I got talking to people, it's actually a really interesting subject, just generally. You, know, you talk about fear of missing out or nervous laughter, and then you find out what people's weird phobias are and stuff like that. And I find that I'm, A, a very anxious person, and B, quite an open wound, because uh, <laughs> my my experience of journalism, this is a little trick, is, we were talking about this off-air off about being journalists, is when I was a journalist, I found the best way to get people to 
open up about stuff was you tell them something appalling about you. Yeah. Oh, I had an ex who did da da da. And they tell you something, and obviously they're the famous one, so you leave out your bit, and then in print, they've told you this amazing story. They've been incredibly forward. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So that's a great trick if you're doing print journalism. If you're doing a podcast, I find that I'm just very... Now I just don't care. I'll just say, and I will will happily talk about my wonky brain in terms of anxiety and that kind of... Anyone who wants to listen, absolutely more than welcome. And it just means that other people talk to me. They feel very comfortable talking to me about this stuff. I've had loads of comedians on who have just really surprised me with what they'll talk about. I had Richard Osman talking about social anxiety, Phil Jupiter talking about spiders, and like Alice Lowe talked about horror films. It's a really great way of crystallising someone's thoughts is asking what they're scared of because everyone is scared of something. And at the moment, everyone's scared of everything, is what which I found. It's like really good timing in so terms you- of, you know. I love horror films. That was the other thing, is I'm a big horror fan, so I kind of thought, you know, it'll be loads of horror puns, it'll be spooktaculars and boils and ghouls and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I can't resist I as much as I want it to be about psychologicals and all that kind of stuff, I really do love a horror pun, and I'm really happy to talk about Freddy Krueger and Boglins and, and and public information films from the 80s and all that kind of stuff as well. So it's really, you get a really good mix of stuff. But they yeah. are the scariest ones, the public mm, information films. Yeah. Oh, oh, I mean, I, I don't even start. I was scared of everything. I mean, I have to bring this up again. I was scared yeah. of the music from the Castrol GTX album. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was Fleetwood Mac, wasn't yeah. it? Uh, yeah. And Sorry, it just, oh God, I've done, and I've, done, would, I've done the thing I hate it when people do on my show, is you say you're scared of something and then someone repeats. Like, I hate the noise of the mice from the clangers. And as soon as I say that, people start doing it. Yeah. 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 Although yeah. that said, I very little scares me as an adult, but as a kid, yeah. 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 Uh, television adverts, almost anything. It was such a minefield for my yeah. parents. They were like, oh, Jesus, I'm not going to get any sleep tonight again. <laughs> I, too, was a wuss growing up. Yeah, I too. still don't watch horror films, but mm. I have a respect for them. Yeah. But, yeah, I remember my mum deciding the way to cure me was just to force me to, like, <gasps> listen to Thriller, the bit where oh, you guy Vincent yeah. Price does his talking, and I was just sobbing in a corner, and she thought it was hilarious. Thanks, mum. Morgrim the Wolf, BBC Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> Shit my pants, literally crying. My dad... In his wisdom, Popper offered says, go and stand behind the TV <laughs> while he delivers his monologue about like how everything's going to die. Oh, my God. Really, wow. really harrowing well, time for of... five-year-old me. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of a bit Desert Island Disc-y. Desert Island Disc-y. That's quite hard to yeah, say, isn't it? Yeah, it's very hard yeah. to say. Um, I ask my guests to think of three things before we start. One is their favourite scary moment from film or TV. So that could be anything. That could be a public information film. It could be a horror film. It could be Ghost Watch. Or, you know, it, it's, it's yeah, yeah. We all went a bit weird oh, thought about pipes then. for a second, yeah, then, didn't yeah. we? I'm so sorry, listeners of a certain age. Uh, <laughs> listen to the Daniel Ward episode where we talk about Ghost Watch for about an hour. It's great. The second thing I ask them to think about is a fit from their childhood, which we've had everything from Laurel and Hardy. Which turned out what? to be actually... Margaret Gibbon-Smith was frightened of Lauren and Hardy as a child. Turns out she was scared of anarchy because she had good girl syndrome as a child. <laughs> it's really interesting. Once people start unpacking why they're scared of something, it gets a bit of therapy at certain points. But if you start analysing why you're scared of something... And she didn't like the fact that they were chaotic and they were anarchic and they, they, you, you didn't know what they were going to do next because they were sort of crazy. And she hated that because she wanted to be a good girl. Right. Because a teacher at school had really scared her. Yeah. And the last thing I asked them to do is fear they live with now, which is, I think, as everyone has, a phobia of something. A or wild card fear. A wild card Just fear. death. Just <laughs> Everything else is all right. Just death. Yeah, we've had and Brexit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's At the, the moment, it's really not lols. Yeah. <laughs> Brexit now is a bit like thinking about death. Like you can't yeah. do it for too long because oh, <laughs> yeah. the actual anxiety sets in. Uh, out of curiosity, did anyone go on the march this weekend? Yeah, we, we all did. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah, were you there? Yeah, oh, yeah. 
So at the moment, there's a thing doing the rounds on Twitter mm. that I want to talk to you about, mm. and it's about American Halloween costumes. Yeah. So oh, the thing sense. is, where yeah. you have the word sexy plus uh-huh. your greatest fear, and that would be your <laughs> Halloween costume in America. So Richard Herring had sexy, unable to maintain my erection, which is very funny. <laughs> Hannah, you said you saw a great I, one. I saw someone say sexy, the death of my children. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My fellas is sexy drowning, and I kind of think we could make that work. Mm. But I wanted to ask you what yours would be. Oh, God. Well, I'll just do the last thing I was terrified of, which was having a poo in the calf around the corner while I was waiting to come here. Sexy having a poo in the calf. Yeah, because it was like a one unisex toilet that led straight out onto the, ca- onto the calf. Lots of freelancers with laptops were in quite a fashionable bit of London. Not a lot of privacy. Not a lot of privacy, no. And I was just like, but I have to have a poo because I'm going to do a podcast. Yeah. I wish I had something better up my sleeve than that. See, if you'd asked me before, I'd have thought of something cooler, and now I've just said that. Sexy pre-podcast poo. What's not cool about that? Yeah, so, you know, we're all human. Mine is sexy stairs. Or escalators. Yeah. Jen? Um, Mine is sexy being chased even by cats. (laughs) Yeah. What, what do the cats want from you? Well, it's it's because when I was a kid, I was running up the stairs and my brother pulled my ankles and pulled me to the bottom of the stairs. Obviously, that hurt quite a bit. Oh. And uh, now I um, I literally, even if cats chase me upstairs, yeah. I'm like, ah, get away from me. Oh, so... Because that seemed completely irrational to me. A childhood trauma happened, and so I mean, I, I might I have a. But they are not going to pull my ankles down. Yeah. The stairs. No opposable thumbshin. Realistically, I should have just said tomatoes. I've just realised I'm completely phobic of tomatoes, and that I would used have been. To be. Sexy tomato is probably a thing. Yeah. Yeah, I reckon you could get an outfit on eBay yeah. like that. Last time I was in America at Halloween, I love America Halloween. I decided I would do the. You know the, the the slutty blank thing, and I and I did go as a slutty crayon, and I love every second. Crayon. I got a, cray, a Charles Crayola costume. <laughs> what, what, what Daisy Dukes stockings suspenders. It was great. Uh, it's purple. Purple, which is my colour. Yeah, obviously, yeah. <laughs> it's good colour. Good Halloween colour. Yeah, because you can do the nothing to do with Halloween thing. Yeah. What's yours, Hannah? What, what's what, what would my fear? Yeah, yeah. well, well, that would be sexy being found dead at the bottom of the stairs with my cat's eating my face. I <laughs> suppose. There's, there's, there's a, a theme here. There's a Venn diagram between the standard issue yeah. presenters yeah. here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because I used to be very, very scared of spiders. Then I went to Australia and then I saw spiders that were so big. And also ones that would actually could kill you. That when I came home in this country and I saw a spider, I thought, oh, you're not all that. So actually, I think... And that would be aversion therapy, wouldn't it, to a certain degree? Yeah. And I think that's actually yeah. the story of my life, in that all the things I was scared of, eventually most of them happened to you. And you're like, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> used to be scared of wasps. Got stung by a wasp when I was about seven, thought it's not that much. Oh, you confronted Yeah, really. moved on. Spiders are sort of universal fear, aren't they? Because they look alien and they're unpredictable because they move in a really mm. like immediate it's supposed way. supposed to be because I love spiders and I realise that that makes me a, as a huge a goth as I actually am. But I just genuinely <laughs> love it. I went to the, the spider pavilion in LA. They, every year they have a, their natural history museum in the spring has a butterfly pavilion and in the autumn has a spider pavilion. And I realised I found where my type works, which isn't the nerds who work in the spider <laughs> your pavilion. happy place. Oh, it's my happy place. It's full of really hot nerds <laughs> holding spiders and telling you why they're more scared of you than you are of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Apple Store, but with spiders. <laughs> Just hot nerds. Anyway, um, I love spiders, but I everyone is scared of spiders. So I look. It's apparently something to do with pubes. Apparently, it's a Freudian thing. Their what? legs look like pubes, which. Uh, yeah, it's like a like a psychological fear of maturity when you're a child. That is, a, a, I think it's Freud. I might be wrong about it. That. Sounds it's like Freud. It sounds mm. very Freud. Oh, right? yeah. like, you want to sh- shag your dad? Do it. What? So Halloween is approaching. How do you feel about Halloween, Sarah? 
Uh, Are you a fan? I am a big fan. Yeah. Yeah. Do you go all out? I try to. I have to really stop myself in shops from buying all the tat with skulls on. So and um, my mates have skeletons hung in her kitchen since yeah. August. She gets so giddy. Yeah, it's it's and I've got a kid now, so I've got an excuse, and that's good. But yeah, I, I do like. I, I haven't made plans for this year other than to take her to trick or treating. I, I like it in America because they're really good at it there. And here, I like I like the grumpiness of it here. I like that some people really hate it, and that adds an extra element of genuine terror to yeah. it, where someone grumpy might come up their house. <laughs> Ireland, you should go to Ireland. Ireland bloody loves yeah. Halloween. They go absolutely insane for it. Ireland, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah. literally every single pub, shop, everything, every mm-hmm. high street is bedecked in things. I enjoy Cadbury Scream Eggs, which I have this time of year. They're good. <laughs> Are they green goo? Yeah, yeah green yeah. goo. I mean, it's exactly the same, but yeah. it's, it doesn't feel wrong in the way that eating a Cadbury's Cream Egg at Christmas does, but can we scram egg? <laughs> a scram egg? A scram egg feels fine. It's just seasonal. Just having some seasonal fun. So loads yeah. of people love going and getting involved in horror stuff and watching mm. horror films. Why do you think people like putting the willies up themselves? <laughs> well, that's a whole different... Uh, so, uh, uh, why do people like puns? I don't know. Yeah, uh, I, 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 Genuinely, at the moment, I am... I mean, like I said, I love horror films and I am finding horror films incredibly cathartic. There is something about, you know, we are living in, not to get too, we, well, we all know, everything's, can I say fucking? Yeah, yeah please do. fucking terrifying yeah. at the moment. Everything is really, really scary, and that, when you get panicky, it means you're useless, and I feel like you waste energy by panicking about the wrong things and getting in a flap about stuff, and I've been sort of trying to reconcile that by, like, there's a lovely bit from Doctor Who. I did an episode, um, this series, a very recent one, with someone called uh, my friend Riley Silverman, uh, who uh, is a trans woman. She found Doctor Who really helpful. And this sounds glib, but it is her story and exactly how she puts it. She found Doctor Who really handy when she was transitioning in explaining to her family that Doctor Who regenerates and they might look different, but they're the same person and they mm-hmm. are a different person, but the same person and they are who they are. The episode is extremely moving. We are both crying our eyes out. But while we were talking about Doctor Who, she said that there's a bit from it where where they talk about fear as a superpower. There's an episode of Doctor Who, I think it's called Fear Me, and there's a speech that the Doctor gives and then Clara repeats that where, where she says fear is a superpower because it means you run faster, you you work harder, you think smarter. And, it says, and since I've been listening to that clip a lot when I was editing the episode, I've been like really obsessed by the idea that fear is a superpower at the moment and we're all we should all use it. So it's galvanising. It's galvanising. And so I find that if I'm feeling uselessly terrified where I don't know how to deal with it, if I watch a really good horror film and it's like getting on a roller coaster or like, um, you, you know, it's controlled. It's a control fear where your body is flooded with all the hormones. It makes you feel alive. It makes you feel alive, but it's on your own terms. It's not having some new story land on your phone that you weren't expecting that makes you feel... If you watch, you know, a good... A good you know, I think the good witch horror film at the moment, the, the witchy ones I'm really into, The Craft and The Witches of Eastwick, and Carrie's a really good horror film to watch at the moment. Has anyone seen Carrie recently? No. Oh, the old, the, the proper old one, the 70s one. Oh, yeah, they remade it. They remade yeah. it. I mean, I'm sure it's great, but not... It's not, not no, I don't have time I, for a remake. I yeah. did watch, and I'm sure it's called mm. The Witch the other day, the one oh, with Kate... I haven't seen that um, one. Yeah. With Ralph Innocent and Kate yeah. Dickey where they are uh, in the yeah. new world, basically. Yeah, right. So around the time of witch hunts and they became a, they've got mm. some bad luck I mean, and they come to the conclusion that there must yeah. be a witch. Yeah. And yeah, it's a really cracking film. Yeah. I, I don't know that it was scary, mm. but it was certainly intense. 
Mm. That leads quite nicely onto. I wanted to ask about. Obviously, we've talked about how frightening the world is at yeah. the moment. Yeah. So, what do you find scarier, real or supernatural, when you're watching something? Uh, I, I personally don't believe in ghosts or supernatural things. Right. So, I find supernatural horror incredibly. Um, I mean, it's scary because it's meant to be scary. They, t- they it's, but I don't. I don't think. Oh God, there's a ghost in my house after I watched it. I did when I was a kid, and I saw Ghost Watch for oh the first God. time. How many people uh, have been traumatized by Ghost Watch? Watch. Uh, but other than that minor blip in my life, I don't personally. I don't believe in the afterlife or anything. So I don't find the idea of ghosts or anything. But I find the idea of like actual murderers and my liberties being taken away and all that kind of stuff much scarier. Much yeah. scarier than the idea that you know, magical powers exist, because that'd be quite nice, really, if it turns out some people were magic. Yeah, quite but like they immediately <laughs> use it for bad stuff. Yeah, we just don't know. Yeah. But let's hope I think not. I know. I, think <laughs> I like to watch The Craft and think it might be a documentary one day. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> or The Witches of Eastwick. That's another good... That's a great... That's a very good... Good. Um, if you're feeling a bit like the world is being particularly awful to women at the moment, watch The Witches of Eastwick. All it's, right, uh, all right. How do, you feel, how do you feel about clowns? Oh, uh, in real life, yes. <laughs> uh, I am neutral to clowns. You're not what? What? I am. Uh, I know. Well, I know real comedians who do uh, comedia dell'arte. Yeah. <laughs> so I respect their choices. <laughs> They've been to clown school, and I um, I had to watch it recently for the, the old the one old, or the, the new old, one. The, I haven't seen the new one. The old, the old, the, the most scariest the, thing I've ever seen in it's, life. It's amazing, isn't it? Gave it? me nightmares when I was yeah. nineteen. Yeah. I had nightmares for like six months. It was a, a real problem. In the our latest house. episode of the podcast, um, Matt Kirsch and my guest, he's a comedian. Oh, lovely Kirsch. Oh, do you know Kirsch? Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah. Oh, it's the best, he right? Sweetheart. Yeah. So he's uh, we've been friends for like twenty years nearly, and um, he he uh, Stephen King's It was his choice of best scary moment so we talked about that for a while but and the, and there have been this weird spate of uh, we recorded it in LA but it, Matt lives in LA so I did some interviews when I was out there and um, at the time there was a spate of attacks going on in California where people were dressing up as clowns yeah I remember that and, and they had deer as well yeah, not, yeah, in Northampton I don't think they were attacking they weren't attacking people, people. they were just, just standing outside their houses I think yeah. it quickly descended into actual violence though, probably yeah. with people punching the clowns yeah. first because yeah. yeah. you would to yeah. be fair yeah. someone came out you dressed yeah, it's um, I, I like that it's a trope. I like that, that it's it, you get why it's a trope because it's so innocent and yet so evil. But I do think it is a hugely responsible. And Stephen Tim Curry is just. I wouldn't watch it now. I actually wouldn't watch it again. There's a bit in BoJack Horseman season mm. four where Todd creates some uh, clown dentists. <laughs> yeah, that is ran- rancid. <laughs> rancid. But he talks about clowns and he goes, "Because clowns are for children, right?" And someone goes, oh, "I don't know, are they?" And he's like, "Well." I don't know any adults who like clowns. Do children like clowns? And so they go, well, no, I don't think so. And yeah. he's like, well, who else are clowns for? And that is my question. Do you know the scariest thing about clowns? I think the best scary thing about clowns is that they, the face paint, mm. um, the, you know about this, the, there's a... There's oh, they put them on the egg? Yeah. yeah. You have to, if, clowns have to copyright their own face paint. So each clown has an individual face face paint look. Yeah. And I don't know, and, and they... There's a where is it Blackpool I think it is I don't know I learned this from um, from Psychoville that that you put it on an egg yeah you paint your clown face on an egg and then it's yours and it's copyrighted Um, what does he so the the egg's intact so yeah so other people can't steal your clown makeup or your clown name and stuff like that and then this bit isn't true but I like to just in my head imagine that when the clown dies they smash the egg (laughs) I don't think they do that that's the saddest (laughs) I've ever felt for a clown. (laughs) 
You've managed the impossible. <laughs> yeah, just made up. I feel sympathy for a clown egg. Bit of information that isn't true on the end of something that's already quite. Just the idea that there's a room of eggs painted with faces forever and ever, and this is your. Yeah, egg that egg. itself is quite like a spooky it. idea. Yeah, yeah. It's, I don't it's, like it. Yeah, I mean, you want to spend a day in there, wouldn't you? Just going around, no, no. touching these <laughs> no, tiny, absolutely not, dead no. clown faces. No. Yeah, no, it's awful. But I think it can get big because I just mentioned Psychoville, and mm. and a lot of people have said to me, oh, "I couldn't watch it because it's scary." And I'm like, "Are, are you absolutely mm. crazy? This is hilarious. It's it's legal." gentleman yeah. level funny but, but I think but comedy and fear and horror mm. has such a like crossover in the, yeah. I'm doing a Venn diagram that you can't it's see podcast listeners thanks um, thanks Sarah it's quite erotic <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing an erotic Venn diagram erotic with, my, with my fingers and yeah. thumbs but there's a big crossover I think with comedy and horror yeah absolutely I mean those are my, my I mean that is absolutely my favourite genre Don't of I just thing. do an erotic you mm-hmm. that you did an erotic Venn diagram that's almost like an egg as well so oh, <laughs> wow. a clown's face in the middle of that Venn diagram no I mean things like Elvira Mists of the Dark and Gremlins and Gremlins 2 yeah that I love I love a horror comedy and it's very unfashionable at the moment I think yeah the Inside Number 9 boys have Mm. have got that no one else is really doing it I don't know where Hmm. <laughs> when, chat- <laughs> when chatting to people on your podcast, what is the weirdest fear that they have shared with you? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I love, um, you know, Alice Lowe. Yes. Yes. She's a brilliant filmmaker, she's a brilliant actor. She did the Prenge film. Again, another horror film that I advise people watch if they want a good horror because she wrote, starred, directed it when she was eight months pregnant. And um, yeah, she's brilliant. And she was the first guest on the show and she uh, said that she was scared of buttons. Yes, just buttons, and it turns out that there was a. You, you, we sort of talked about it for a while. And it was like she said but, they've got tiny faces. They've got. They have. They've got like she, spiders. Yeah. Is what she said. <laughs> yeah, four eyes. Yeah, they've got four <laughs> eyes. Oh no, we've just made Jen scared of yeah. buttons. And I think it's buttons for eyes on things in particular. My favourite like is when that is, that is a bit yeah. gross. And then you went, fair. well, in what kind of guys are you scared yeah. of them? And she went, you went on clothing, and she went, oh, when, when they're on the loose. Well. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. When I spy one on the loose. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I'm gonna listen to that for because I can't stand that I can't hear. Well, listen to myself back. That must scared. be yeah. quite prohibitive for her. Yeah, as fears I go. think she faces up to, in the same way that I man up about my ovary up. I sorry about my tomato phobia, and yeah. I will cut a tomato for my child. But I don't like them. When I grew tomatoes in my garden this summer, having just had the lifelong phobia of tomatoes raw on the loose, as it were. Yeah, grew uh, Yeah, I grew some with my child. She loves them. She ate them. I picked them. Got hives. Turns out I'm really allergic to oh. tomatoes. So actually, so I have maybe a superpower. fear is a superpower. Maybe yeah. that was like a genetic. Maybe you knew. I think so I think I used to be, be scared of tomatoes. Yeah. Are you allergic I, to them? No, but once it's because, again, as a child, once I never really liked them very much, and I still don't like them. I'm right. not actually scared of right. them. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm physically. But it was like I would I'm recoil running. in horror yeah. if I saw like what I call tomato jizz. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. I've yeah, got yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. wheezy. Okay, so we need to go to that festival in no, Spain. No, 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 that no, will no, be my aversion no, no, therapy. No, 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 no. <laughs> that, the, what's the what's the what's the we need to talk about Kevin film that's the one yeah we need to talk about Kevin Kevin. Kevin. the film of the book we need to talk about Kevin opens with them at that festival which I'm not going to think about too hard because I'm going a bit cross-eyed in Spain where they all roll around in the things and I'm gorgeous the goo goo. Uh, and um, genuinely feel a bit sick I'm holding a cup of tea I'm fine Uh, I was with my mum and um, the opening scene is that tomato festival and I just 
obviously it's like my worst nightmare. So I tried to like, I was just turned around just so I wouldn't have to see or hear it. And my mum was like, no, 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 don't worry. It's not blood, it's tomatoes. Oh, I would so be fine if this was blood. (laughs) The opening scene of the film was like, Carry. Yeah. <laughs> if it was just like the lift to the shining, yeah. I'd be fine. But like, mm. I tried to I, eat a whole one once, nah. and basically, what happened was I was very small. I put like a whole one in my mouth because they were like, "Go on, you have to eat some tomato." And I just went, and then I basically was like, <laughs> almost died. An eyeball in my mouth. I yeah. swear to God. Oh, <laughs> oh it was, see, that's the, that's the thing. Yeah, that makes me no, really eyes. eyes. You can't talk eyes. about eyes. I, 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 I won't have it. <laughs> Jen and Hannah have gone into different corners they, they of the make, studio. They make me feel. I used to say that I was scared of them, but I'm not scared of them. They just make me really gippy. Yeah, I, no, please don't. Yeah, I was going to say. I think it is interesting because I mean, obviously, you're dealing with creative people in your mm. podcast yes it's, and actually it's, they it's reckon that it's people, a lot yeah. easier to scare a creative person than it is to scare a um, non-creative person because creative yeah. people will they have an imagination right. whereas scientific people will say oh well the answer to that is just to do this whereas amongst creative people mm, they'll go well sense. clearly there must be some sort of malevolent force <laughs> yeah. driving this story or something i think books for me, scarier it's scarier than, than films, films yeah. because my brain gets involved you, then, and yeah. it's filled in the gaps. So I've created it. So those things live in my head for mm. fucking ever. I read James Herbert's *The Cottage* <laughs> when I was about eight because I was precocious as fuck. And yeah, it it scared me, and it properly just stayed in my head. Can for I say I ages. met James Herbert when I was a little girl, and he scared. Okay. Well, yeah. that makes sense. He's very on brand, James Herbert. <laughs> yeah, I remember. He had that sort of Garth Marenghi thing going on. Yeah, everyone remembers Garth Marenghi. <laughs> yes, but I think James Herbert books have the distinction of being to get a bit blue. Uh, they were most people's yeah, first. Was, a certain type of girl. Some girls were Jilly Cooper and Jackie Collins, and uh, for their first. Wanderings, forays, f- funny tummy feeling, funny tummy feelings, sexy fear, sexy, and and James Herbert had a big thing of putting very graphic sex scenes in his books so if but but they weren't the sort of thing your parents would leave they were the books your parents would leave lying around because they didn't realise that you would pick them up and then scurry off to your oh, room mate, my mum left the Betsy lying around oh, she I, had I, I, no I was, shame yeah, I grew up on, on Stephen King sex scenes uh, but James Herbert would have really graphic sex scenes and I think every there's a there's a very specific person you grew up sort of wanking to the fog <laughs> these are my people if you ever wanked to the fog particularly the scene with the, the in the public boys school uh, please do get in touch with Sarah get in touch <laughs> on, a self, on a self-sealed envelope oh. <laughs> I had a wank to the fog when I was too young to know what a wank was yeah Crikey. Yeah. We know what you're doing on Halloween. Just <laughs> at home wanking to the fog. <laughs> I have not wanked to the fog in a good tw- 28 years. <laughs> bring, it, bring it back, Sarah. Bring it back. Bring it. Oh, do you want to be able to... Yeah, a bit me time. Run a bath, light some candles. Get, it all mis- get the bathroom all misted up. <laughs> Crack open the fog. Where can yeah. we find the Fear Podcast? Uh, on all places you get podcasts. It's on uh, the Great Big Owl Network. And you're at the, the Fear Twitter. Podcast on Twitter. At the Fear Podcast on Twitter. And what Twitter. about you personally? At Sarah L. Morgan. I've got a spooky Halloween name coming out. Oh, I, oh, yeah. I think I'm Scary Morgan Trans... No, hang on. Yeah, Scary Morgan Transplants. <laughs> no, Live Morgan Transplants or Scary Morgan Music. I haven't decided yet. I think just Wanking at the Fog. Wanking <laughs> at the Fog might be... yeah. Sure. You know, maybe, maybe for Valentine's Day. Sarah, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Hello, Mickey here. Sorry to interrupt your listening pleasure, but I just thought, 
as you're having such pleasure listening, you might be up for helping us out in making more content that champions women. That's easy to do. You can just bob along to our Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash standard issue. And any spare bunch you might have found in your pocket down the back of the sofa, feel free to chuck it to us. Much obliged. You play ball like a girl! Go on, do one, kid. Jenny off the blocks. Welcome to Jenny Off The Blocks, that time of the week where we flip the patriarchy, the bird E, the birdie, see what I did there, as we discuss all things women's sport. First up, it would be a big tip of the flat cap, but let's face it, Brunsfield Links Golfing Society is about fucking time. The Edinburgh Golf Club, which is the fourth oldest in the world. I love how people report this fact as if it has any relevance whatsoever. Like when people say it's cool for old people to be racist. Technically, you've had more time on this earth to know what progress looks like than, you know, the fifth oldest golf club in the world or the, you know, 20th oldest golf club in the world or whatever. But anyway... Let's not get weighed down in reason. Anyway, they voted to allow women members for the first time in the club's 250-year history last week. On the vote, of which 83.7% were in favour of allowing female participation, Captain Mike Smith said, Together with a £1.2 million investment in our course, this will ensure we are well positioned for the future. Or, you know, the present. Or even the past, I presume y'all have heard of the suffragettes, right? So yeah, I would congratulate you, but you uh, you don't deserve it. So, you know, it, it shouldn't be an Olympic sport, frankly, when you have dinosaurs dinosauring in such ways. I want to call it progress, but it, it isn't. It's, it's long overdue. And while we're on the subject of the Olympics, let's segue seamlessly to the Youth Olympics, which wound up last week in Buenos Aires, with Great Britain's Caroline Sara Dubois claiming one of GB's three gold medals across the entire tournament. In my favourite sport, boxing. In fact, all three of GB's gold medals were in boxing, but Dubois was the only bird to nab one. The 17-year-old beat Thailand's Pontip Buapa, I'm going to assume that's how we pronounce it, to extend her unbeaten run to 35 bouts. But Olympic boxing was under fire last week as the International Olympic Committee threatened to drop it as an Olympic sport as the AIBA, that's Amateur Boxing's governing body, came under scrutiny for issues including finances, governance and anti-doping. In fairness, some of these do sound um, like rather big problems, like basically the dude running it is i don't know let's say he's accused of being a disreputable character but regardless one does wonder exactly how the ioc's moral compass works i was gonna say two words set blatter who i know is technically more heavily associated with fifa but you know he had some fingers in that sweet sweet olympic pie too and um you know it's just a name people will know but actually you could write an essay on shonky dudes of IOC past and presently under investigation. And yeah, probably just worth mentioning cycling, but let's move on. Let's move on real quick. Basically, it will be very, very shit for the sport if it's dropped from the Olympics. Look at the boxers to come out of the Olympics. I know they're dudes, but Anthony Joshua, George Foreman, oh, and um, some chap called Muhammad Ali. Also, Katie Taylor, Nicola Adams... It's a sport that's still really very much in the developmental stages for women, professionally speaking. And the Olympics is a great platform for women's sport. So this will be a real blow for women's boxing, especially, I would say. 
There's all sorts of other awful news in women's sport this week, as there is in general in the news. Oh God, why do you keep making me look at it? Such as the treatment of Chelsea women's player Karen Carney on social media after her team beat Fiorentina in the Champions League, which they actually won, by the way, thanks to a goal by, oh hang on, Karen Carney. After which, one particularly charming chap commented on her Instagram post, how many chances you need to score in second half, bitches? Not the second half, in just in second half. I wish you cancer and leukaemia, and I hope someone will rape you to death. So that's quite the buffet of tragic demises there. As ever, there are no words really, just that you hateful ball bags can't intimidate us out of public spaces. So by all means, you try. You try as you masturbate furiously over your tear-soaked keyboard. But I hope you've got a decent lubricant to hand, because ultimately it will be in vain. But let us end with some good news. Hurrah! Which is that European Hockey announced on Monday that it would launch a women's league as of 2020 to bring it in line with the existing men's competition. And the crowd goes wild. Hey, you can chat to me on Twitter if you want, ideally minus rape and or death threats. I'm at Inspiragen and I particularly welcome Delia Smith gifts. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with more sports news. Hello, Mickey here, doing a little interrupt. But I'll tell you why. It's because next week is Gigcast week and we have got an absolute cracker. Slash slightly crackers one for you. When we were up in Edinburgh, we had a lineup thus. Hannah Dunleavy. Hey! Sarah Millican. Louisa Omelon. Janine Garofalo. And Sue Pollard. And yeah, we didn't know what to expect either, but it turned out <laughs> very, very entertaining. <laughs> so tune in next week for that. Welcome to Dunleavy Does Disney. Dunleavy, what Disney did you do this week? This week I did 2015's The Good Dinosaur. Sorry, what? Yeah, it sailed right over my head as well. All dinosaurs are good. Just point that out there. Yeah, it's Pixar for Disney, which usually is a really, really good sign. Mm -hmm. I had obviously never seen it before. Mick? I haven't watched this one. Soz, boss. Jen? Let me find my notes, Hannah. Wowzers. When she when she commits, she really goes she really for it. She's it. dressed as a T-Rex, which is why it's taken her a while to find her notes, because she's got tiny, tiny little paws. This is Pixar's lowest grossing film. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, which which may tell you everything you need to know. It has a good cast. It has Jeffrey Wright and Frances McDormand playing husband and wife, which I would love to see that in real life in a film. It also has Anna Paquin, and it has Steve Zahn, who I'm also quite a big fan of. So yeah, I was hopeful. I was hopeful. It was one of these films that was completely reworked. In fact, it started off with, uh, what's the dude from Third Rock from the Sun? And then he was Churchill in the first series of The Crown. What's he called? John. Oh, John. Lith oh, John Lithgow. Lithgow, mm. yeah. I know, Dexter, full series of Dexter. Excellent work. Yeah, and also... Um, Shrek Bigfoot yeah. and the Hendersons yeah anyway he was originally in it and then it got reworked and then the cast all changed and to be honest every time we see stuff that says it's been reworked it's ended up awful what's the one where he turns into a llama um, the Emperor's New, New Groove yeah that was awful that John Goodman in it that had been completely reworked so 
Yeah. Anyway, there you go. There's some facts. Did you like it? The animation in this is so spot on. It's like photorealistic. And when it started, I thought, hey, I don't have to watch this. It's not animated. And I was like, hey, I was relieved. Credit where credit's due. It does look incredible. It opens with loads of dinosaurs, like grazing, I suppose, on the plane. I think the collective noun is a murderer of dinosaurs. <laughs> or a meteorite of dinosaurs. Well, one or the other. and a meteorite is, is flying towards Earth and they're all just oblivious to it. And then it goes and goes straight past Earth and there's a bit where they all look up and go and then go back to eating. That is the best thing in this, absolutely. <laughs> the point is it's kind of a reimagining of what would have happened on Earth if that meteor hadn't struck. Right, and they'd have become cowboys. Yeah. <laughs> That's what would have happened. Well, that apparently. would seem the natural thing to happen. Sure. So basically, you then go forward to the future, which is now, but isn't now. And dinosaurs are now basically sort of living as humans although they haven't actually evolved any no. things that would help them live mm. as humans they don't have opposable thumbs they don't no so do they have ipads no not okay. that i right. possibly they don't whip one out at any point okay. but so it's this kind of this this whole what if scenario so we get to this mother and father husband and wife whatever you want to call them dinosaurs that are running a farm that's jeffrey wright and francis mcdormand and they have three eggs that hatch and they have three children a big strong son he's a prick yeah he is and a daughter who also has a collection of stereotypes and then a real weak weedy little son who is called Arlo who is useless at everything the runt of the dinosaur litter very much so yeah his dad sort of adopts a much like my dad did in fact a kind of tough love attitude to his son of just get up and do it like well, stop messing around. I'm not going to be here the whole time to look after you. Sort yourself out. He is shit, though, isn't he? But he Dad, really I'm shit. only four. He's, he is insipid, isn't he? He's... Yeah. But it did remind me of, you know, me trying to learn to ride a bike on a Sunday and my dad just going, what is wrong with my children? Why are they so useless? Anyway, then to prove this point, Dad gets washed away and killed. Well, Disney parents' death. Well, they talk about they talk about a river, don't they? Yeah. Early on, they talk about a river, and I have written river. Spoiler alert: death of one or both parents must be imminent. <laughs> they love a watery death, don't they? They do. It's interesting that it's the dad that died. I think that's the first one of the first films that I can remember that it hasn't been the mum that's just died. Well, I thought that the river death, although rivers are not wildebeest. And in fact, the entire film was just a shit Lion like King. Like the Lion King, yeah, I agree completely. Yeah. Yeah. So like a shit Lion King, so therefore a really shit Hamlet? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd not really thought of it like that. If Shakespeare um, did dinosaurs. <laughs> so eventually he gets separated. He's He ends up chasing what is actually, in another film, would be an animal. But in this film, because everything's reversed, mm. it's like a small cave child. Oh. They end up getting separated and then it turns into this sort of incredible journey thing where they have to try and get back to their farm. It reminds me a little bit that they somebody had been watching Oh Brother, We're Out Now because they met like a collection of people. They met some birds that, that you think yeah. are going to be friendly, but they're not. But then you met some dinosaurs that you think weren't going to be friendly, but, but they, they were. Are. 
And the whole time you're watching this, the whole background is really, like I say, photorealistic. But it, that kind of makes the animation look really clunky. The, not the animation. It makes the, the, dinosaurs. the dinosaurs themselves, which are like kind of like children's yeah. drawings of dinosaurs, look really odd and clunky. Yeah, it's odd, isn't it? Yeah. So then they get back. He gets back home eventually. Actually, do you know what else? It's reminded me a bit of the road a little bit in that they get back and then... <laughs> and, and then he... It is quite bleak, actually. They get separated. And, like, obviously, he goes to his family, but, like, what's going to happen to the little cave boy? But a cave family comes along mm. just in time, like it does in the road, and, like, he becomes part of a new family. And then he's actually proved himself, so his family don't think he's completely useless anymore. Happy ending. It's weird. And he gets to put his footprint on the thing. And I've written, why feet so big when he's small? <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, what did you feel it told you about your life? Um, I think it told me that I've been wasting it watching these films, to be honest. There were bits of it that I thought, you know, it, for a little kid, it's been a while since I've seen a Disney film. that Actually... I was going to say that's not true, but... <laughs> A Disney film that actually would be suitable to show a kid that was less than about the age of 10, yeah. to be honest. A lot of them have had sort of reasonably, well, maybe not 10, maybe 8 or something. This seems like something that you could put four and five-year-olds in front of. Do you think we should make Flat Earthers watch it? Possibly. I reckon that might help. Possibly. It's interesting that, that they don't consider the path of evolution at all in it. I don't know what that says about about Disney. I just wanted to know why it it was like why why was it set on like the Great Plains? Why was it like a fucking Truman Capote novel like it was bleak, wasn't it? Yeah. It was weird and those dinosaur cowboys and why? Why? And also why feed so big when he's small? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean there's more choice cuts here, but I'll, I'll probably... I only watched it two weeks ago, and I already can't really remember anything about it, which is not a good sign, to be honest. It's pretty dry, isn't it, to be fair? Either side of this, I watched Coco, which was excellent, mm. and Wreck-It Ralph, which was really funny, which I will do next week. And this just seemed like, Meh? what? Mm, who next cares? Time. Is that actually good, Wreck-It Ralph? It may, uh, yeah, well, we'll get onto that, but it did make me laugh. What score are you going to give the good dinosaur? Hannah? I don't know. Maybe I should consult with Jen because Jen actually made some notes. I was thinking I might give it. I've not seen it. I think I should give the score. <laughs> I was thinking I might give it two. I mean, I could live with one and a half, to be honest. Wow. Wow. One and a half to two out of what? Uh, out of. Uh, no, sorry, of what? Of what out of five? God, we're stumbling tiny feet, around big today. Dinosaurs. Tiny feet, big dinosaurs out of five. Okay. Two tiny-footed big dinosaurs. Oh, no, it's the wrong way round. Big feet, tiny dinosaurs. That's it. We're going to give it one and a half. Oh. One and a half. But that half foot is going to be a bit small anyway, even if it's any half a foot. What have we done? No, it's going to be a massive foot. We're going to give it one massive foot that came from a tiny dinosaur, and then we're going to give it half a foot, which came from a, a cave child. Who was smaller than a beetle, which yeah. didn't make any sense. Their proportions are fucked. Anyway, that's enough. Standard issue for all women. <laughs> 